0: Okay, good morning. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. We're in Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Actually, we'll start a few verses before that. Let's start in verse 37 of chapter 23. Anyone need a Bible? If you do, please raise your hand. Bible, anyone? No Bibles. All right. Matthew 23, verse 37. Jesus speaking. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Chapter 24, verse 1, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly I say to you, Not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you, Lord, for all your word. And Lord, we just pray this morning just for uh, just a, a growing knowledge and expectation and faith and awareness, Lord, that you're coming again. That you're coming to get us that you love us so much, Lord, that you, you, you're, you're coming to, to, to rescue us, Lord. We pray, Father God, that this would stir in our hearts, just a greater love for you, a, a greater desire to serve you, Lord, a greater desire to worship you, Lord God. I just pray this morning, Lord, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd, you'd fill us. That we'd reach a fuller and just more robust understanding of who you are, your love for us, and that you're going to return to us soon. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. We're going through the book of Matthew, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and. The next few weeks will be in Matthew 24 through 25, which are about the return and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is now in the last few days of his life, and he knows his time on earth is short, and he wants to make sure his disciples know that his death, which he's been warning them about, is not going to be the last time that they see Him. He wants uh, them to know that, yes, He would die, but as surely as He would die, He would be raised to life, and He would come again. This morning, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the verses we just read, but rather, I'm going to spend some time on the uh, general subject of the return of, of, of Jesus. Now, if you're a careful student of the Bible... Of the New Testament, that is Matthew to Revelation. Uh, you should come away from your study with the understanding that there are three pillars, three pillars, three solemn facts, three three truths about the Christian faith. Uh, the first one, uh, the first pillar, is is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He came to Earth, He died. He rose again and now sits on the right hand (coughs) of the Father. It's the first pillar of truth, that Jesus was here and Jesus left. The second pillar of our Christian faith is that after Jesus was resurrected, the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit is still with us and the Holy Spirit lives in us. Finally, the third pillar of the Christian faith is this, that Jesus Christ will come again. Now, each of these pillars, these facts, these truths, if you embrace them, each of them will have a profound impact on your life, although in each one in a very different way. For many of us, uh, the first pillar is firmly in place. The bedrock of our faith, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, appeared in the flesh, He was crucified the third day, He was raised to life, He, uh, uh, he was raised to life, and, and He later returned to the Father, and He came to this world and did what we could never do, He lived a perfect life, He paid the penalty death, for our extremely imperfect life, our rebellious life, our, our sin-filled life, but then he was raised to life. And many of us have that pillar firmly in place. Sadly, that is not the case for many when it comes to the second pillar, uh, that the Holy Spirit, after Jesus rose from the dead, came to us, came to man, came to women, and that he's still with us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 it says we're the temple of the holy spirit and that fact for many of us it's 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 not as much of a pillar as it is like a crutch or something or a stilt you 've seen those stilt houses, you look at them and go i 'm mm, not sure I would want to live in that house. It just has a stilt or a few of them under it, and you know that 's not like a concrete pillar but uh, uh, and in some for some of us, the stilt is wobbly uh, at best and one of the reasons I really love Calvary Chapel is that there 's just a balanced approach to the person of the Holy Spirit, and by that I mean uh, that the church the calvary chapel church simply gives the place to him to the holy spirit that he is due according to the word of god mainly the, and the Bible's very explicit about it this that he's our comforter he's our guide our source of strength our source of joy our means of growth he's our worship leader our bible study uh leader our our missions leader And a life or ministry that is not filled with the Holy Spirit is wobbly at best. We need to understand the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to be ever filled with the Spirit, ever relying on the Spirit, uh, ever giving Him every single area of our lives so God can mold us into the men and women that He wants us to be lamentably the person of the Holy Spirit uh, and his role in the life of the church and believer is left on the shelf in many churches and uh, uh, that's a really uh, really sad and it really can have implication in a person's life but um, uh, in any event the second pillar of, of our faith it's not the subject of the message this morning but it's uh, nevertheless so important. That the Holy Spirit came after the resurrection of Jesus. And he's still with us. He's in us. The third pillar of our faith, that Jesus Christ is coming again. That he will return. Now, tragically, uh, for many of us, uh, this fact, this truth, uh, it's not a pillar. It's not even a crutch. It's not even a stilt. it's, uh, It's a nothing. It's not even part of the foundation of our faith and we ask ourselves why is that i mean why is it why is that not really something that's part of our everyday life meaning it's not something that we really think about or study about or hear about well for many it it's kind of strange and 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 we read about it sometimes we get confused and uh, and, and, and we even get a little scared because uh, and this is the reaction of many in the body of Christ because you know there's people out there doing a lot of weird and crazy things on the fringe. With this whole area of, of Jesus coming again, we hear of people who even think they're the Messiah and they're here, and you know we no longer have to wait because I'm here, I'm the Messiah. You know this type of thing that we've heard. And uh, I remember I I gave my life to to Jesus when I in 1988, January of 1988 is when I began to walk with the Lord. And that same year, a NASA rocket scientist turned Bible student, he wrote a book called entitled. 88 Reasons Why Jesus Christ Will Return in 1988. It sold 3.5 million copies. And... Uh, you know, so here I am, I'm just saved, all of a sudden this book comes up, and I was like, woo, I made it just in time here, you know, (laughs) a little while later, I'd be in the tribulation period, there'd be asteroids hitting my house, there would be, you know, scorpions tormenting me, fire from heaven, engulfing my neighborhood, and I'd have to go look for a cave to live in, whatever, Uh, but anyway, it it, it sold 3.5 million copies, the author, not only did he insist that Jesus was going to come in 1988, by the way, how many people? Have they even heard of this book? Wow, good for you! Oh, oh okay, just a few. Uh, uh, but, I mean, it was all the rage right after I became a, a Christian. I'm telling you, uh, God bless my pastor, though. He didn't. He, he he led his sheep away from from you know all the excitement around that emotion-based excitement. But anyway, he not only uh, did he uh... this author this NASA rocket scientist who retired and thought he was gonna uh... become uh... a a bible student uh... he he not only believed that Jesus was gonna come in 1988 he was adamant that it would be between uh... september eleventh and september thirteenth rosh hashanah he was convinced he had eighty eight reasons and three point five million copies he was very persuasive uh... about it and of course, when the de- dates came and went, and people made jokes, I remember the worship leader in our church saying, "Well, you know, I w- woke up. I was a little worried. Looked over at my wife, and uh, was a little assured. But then I called Fran. She's a real spiritual woman. When she answered the phone, I knew I was okay. You know, you'd hear that type of thing. And, and but then you know, right after it passed, the author changed his date to October 1988. And uh, and then when October passed, it he still insisted it was an order. It was in the order of uh, weeks uh, before uh... before jesus would come and you know it's it's interesting that very few in here have ever even heard of it because whenever you hear some new thing like now it's like the book of judas you know or the the da vinci code or whatever you can know this it's just a passing thing in fifteen years no one will even know about the 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 you know most recent craze but it does damage uh... along the way in fact uh... What happened to me was that, you know, I saw all this weirdness. There was a church, a large church, right near us that took it very, very seriously, uh, this thing, uh, even though Jesus repeatedly uh, and in the most explicit way uh, said it was something you never do. You're never supposed to fix the date. He said time or seasons, plural. You're not even, you can't even pick the year. It's sin, if you're trying to pinpoint a year when Jesus is coming back, you can generally believe he's going to come. Even you know, but but uh, picking a time and date or even a season, uh, Jesus was very explicit. Not something, uh, 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 not something that we should do. Uh, and so, what happened uh, in in my life is that I, I pretty much sort of avoided uh, reading or studying about this. Particular subject, and you know now while it is uh, you know while it is true that some get uh, overly occupied on the subject and they become imbalanced. We were joking about that a few weeks ago about how you can get imbalanced in, in an area by ignoring it completely. I was making a great mistake. I, I was, it was really, it was sort of pride in my heart, it, and, and, and I, I was sort of making a statement to all the wackos out there, you know, I'm not going to pay attention to this area, I'm just going to go to the meat of the gospel, and, and, but the thing is, the only person suffering was me, by doing that, by ignoring large portions of scripture, it's it's only you that are going to uh, to to suffer, and, you know, once again, Calvary Chapel is not the only church, but I saw a, I saw uh, love my church because uh, it doesn't ignore this area. It, it takes a balanced approach and of course really the only reason it does is because we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse and, and so lo and behold when I get to chapters uh, 24 and 25, uh, I can't miss it. You know, gee, Lord, do you, think if, uh, do you think I can skip over to the Lord's Supper in chapter 26, you know, tomorrow? Uh, you know, no, because James Hopper would shout out, hey, Steve, what are you doing? You know, that type of deal. But, uh, uh, you know, come on, Lord. Uh, you know, th- these, these, these people, they need to know more about kindness and love, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, self-control, patience. Uh, no can do. You teach on Matthew twenty. Uh, 20- And so that's the beauty of going chapter by chapter is that that we can't miss it. And and that's a good thing because it's just so important that we we, uh, don't. And let me tell you something which I think is just a really interesting illustration of how backward many of us are when it comes to the whole uh, subject of the return of Jesus. You know, most uh, Christians I think when, we, when they think of seeing Jesus face-to-face again, they think it, of it in the context of their death. You understand what I mean? Uh, meaning if, if, if I asked the average Christian in, in the United States of America, and, and I asked them, well, when, so when are you going to see Jesus? Most of them will say, oh, of course, you know, when I die. Well, let me tell you something really interesting. There are just four verses in the entire New Testament, Matthew to Revelation, about the subject of seeing Jesus after we die. Let me read them to you. And listen, I don't want to trivialize these verses because actually they're wonderful. But uh, there's only four verses. Luke 23, Jesus is on the cross speaking to the thief who is being crucified next to him. What does he say? Today you will see me in paradise. Second is in the Acts chapter seven. Big, big jump there. Stephen being stoned to death right before he dies says, "What, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit?" It's going to as soon as he dies. He knows he's going to see Jesus. The third, Second Corinthians chapter five. We all know this one beautiful verse: "To be absent w- uh, from the body is what present with the Lord." Uh, the fourth, in Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul uh, is uh, speaking of whether or not it would be better to live or die. He says this, I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Jesus. So, uh, but, but then he goes on to say, it's far better. Nevertheless, I remain in the flesh because of your need. And so, four verses in the entire uh, New Testament. Now, does anyone know how many verses deal with the subject of of the return of Jesus or seeing Jesus when he returns? Hundreds, it's hundreds of verses. And let me tell you, it, it is indeed. It is one of the. It is the part of the bedrock uh, uh, of our faith. Now you may say, well, you know, prophecy, the subject of Jesus' return, that's something you study, you know, after you know everything else. You know, you first take ten years or whatever, and you learn the Sermon on the Mount, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, holiness, righteousness, sanctification, you know, uh, Abraham, Moses, Isaac, uh, Jacob, David, the prophets, not so. In fact, in the book, uh, the letter, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, uh, it's, 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 a, it's the only book in the New Testament other than the book of Revelation, which virtually, well, I would say at least it's almost the primary subject of this letter. In fact, both of them, but this letter, 1 Thessalonians, is the return of Christ. And it was written to a church that had just started. Brand new Christians who had no sort of heritage, like we do in this country, of Christianity. They were outright pagans. They believed in Zeus and Apollos and all kinds of uh, uh, foreign gods. They became Christians. Brand new in the faith. Paul writes a letter to them. Listen to this in the first chapter. Uh, what does he say? He says to them, The word has gone out to every place, how you have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. Again, what, what does it say happen when they turn to God from idols that they, they are doing? It says they're waiting for His Son from heaven. Listen to this really interesting thing. To me, at least, it is. Listen, to it. the Thessalonians who were brand new in the faith were so focused on Jesus and, and his return that they started freaking out when some of them started dying. You know, they were like, "What's what's this dying thing? I thought Jesus was going to come." And here, some among us are dying, and so Paul writes to him in chapter 4, verse 13. He puts their fears to rest. Listen to this. Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With a voice of an archangel and with a, tr- a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, meaning those who died, will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. It's interesting. Because a lot of times, you know, you hear after someone loses a loved one, uh, uh, say a daughter or whatever, and, 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 and you'll hear them and say, Well, I just want to die so I can be with her. I just want to die. Well, isn't it interesting? Paul's attitude it says, Paul, the attitude that Paul has and that we should have is if, if, if a loved one dies, it's, I just, I just can't wait until Jesus returns so I can see my loved ones. What does it say about loved ones who have passed on? Again, it says, Paul says, we will, we will all be caught up together with them. You see the distinction? Rather than just, we can't wait till we die so we can be with our loved ones. No, it's, it, we can't wait till Jesus comes again so we can be together with them. What a different mindset that is from the mindset that many of us have today. So this attitude of waiting of this hope, this expectation, uh, should should be our mindset. From the moment we ask Jesus into our life, what do we read every time we celebrate communion? 1 Corinthians 11. So often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until when? Until we die? No. Until the Lord comes. You know, one of the reasons that people think... Uh, people don't spend a whole lot of time with the whole subject of Jesus coming again of prophecy is that they think that it'll have no bearing on their lives no effect on their lives they look on prophecy as more of a curiosity than something that have a real impact on them but you know something that can't be further from the truth If you have this belief firmly entrenched in the foundation of your faith, there will be at least three glorious results. First, it'll be there'll be just a, a supernatural joy. You're having problems with not having a joy in your life? Maybe it could be that you don't have a proper understanding of the uh, or a proper sort of belief and mindset in your lord returning. Listen to Paul in 1st Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, "For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not seeing you in the presence of our lord Jesus Christ at his coming?" I mean, can you imagine the joy of just being uh, with the, the believers who are so close to us at the time of Jesus' coming. 1 Peter 4.13, uh, Peter says this, Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Now, most of the time when you hear that verse, it's a very oft-quoted verse. People quote it all the time to encourage people who are suffering. And, but usually they'll just give the first part of the verse, Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. However, that's not the end of the verse. It goes on and says, So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And and so we rejoice in in just the trials, the afflictions, the difficulties of life. Why? So that we may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed, when he comes again. Uh, to get us. So there'll be a tremendous source of joy as you learn to live every single day with the expectation of His coming. Now, also, it will lead you to live a life of purity and holiness. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness so that this day, meaning the day that Jesus comes back, would overtake you as a thief Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober for those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and, and as a hel- helmet of hope of, of salvation. So here Paul is saying, let not the day overtake you as a thief. Uh, this is a common theme throughout the New Testament. Jesus uh, teaches, uh, teaches this as well. Uh, in the, as well as the Apostle Paul and Peter. You know, when, when he comes, you know, I don't want to be living my life in the sewer. I, 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 I don't want to be wasting my life. I don't want to be obeying the lust of my flesh. I don't want to be in some internet site, some gory internet site, when my Lord shows up at my door. That, that's, not, that's not what I want to have happen. And so it, it drives us to holiness. I want to be going about his business. I want to be serving him. I want to be uh, telling people about Jesus. I want to be reaching out to the oppressed. I want to be doing my job or at school or whatever God's called me to do in an excellent way. I want to be serving him uh, when he comes. 1 John 2.8 says this. It says, little children abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You know, if we're off in a life of rebellion when Jesus comes, he's still going to take us, but it'll be, we'll be ashamed. At his coming. that 's not, not the way we want to be be on our wedding day, which is what it is, which the bible calls it it 's when Jesus comes to get his bride. Let me give you a uh, the picture of a, uh, of what happens in a person 's life when they don 't have the mindset that jesus ret- is returning to uh, soon in second Peter uh, chapter three verse four, the apostle Peter describes those who don't believe in the return of Christ. And they're mocking those who believe that. And as many people mock today, I happened upon a, 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 a site yesterday, one of these blogs or whatever, where people were just mocking and hammering the thought of, of Jesus uh, uh, coming again, and you, you, and, you know, you, you see things on there like, oh, it'll be great when the rapture happens, so all those Christians will be gone, we'll have a great time, and, you know, and, and this type of thing. But in Second Peter 3, verse 4, it says, In the last days there will be scoffers walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So the, the, the picture of that is what? it's God's never going to come. Things will continue next year and the year after that and the year after that the same way. So do what we want. Do what you feel. Do what you, whatever your flesh or lust desire. And, 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 and so, you know, this is the attitude also of, not maybe to the same extent, but it, when you don't have that same sense of urgency, even a Christian... Can just fritter away the time. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48. Luke, two books over from Matthew. Chapter 12, verse 35. Speaking of the attitude, this is Jesus speaking, speaking of the attitude we must have that, that we, we need to be ever mindful that Jesus may be showing up at any second. Jesus says in verse 35, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. So b- b- by waist be girded, that means you, you need to be walking with the Lord. You need to be girded up in faith. You need to be living by faith. You living in with a breastplate of righteousness. You need to be serving the Lord. He says, "Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning," meaning the Holy Spirit. Whenever that word with oil burning, it's it's that that the, the idea is just like the the two men who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. What did they say after they had their little Bible study? They said, "Weren't our hearts burning?" And, and so, let your lamps burning. You need to be in the Word. You need to have that devotion life. What Scott, Pastor Scott said a couple of weeks ago. You need to be in the Word. Keep your lamps burning. Verse 36, And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Now, that word watching... Throughout the gospel, it's just, when you see that word, it's usually the context is you're, you're, you're literally watching for the return of Christ. In, in, in the book of Luke, it talks about, you know, when you see these signs of my coming, look high, look to the heavens, because your redemption is near. You're watching. You're ever mindful of the fact that Jesus may be uh, coming soon. And so it says, So surely I say to you that he will um, gird himself up, gird themselves and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. In other words, what it's saying is that a person who is ever mindful of the coming of the Lord, what's he doing here? He's serving the people. He's serving the people. He's blessing the people. And so sometimes you hear that expression, oh, that, that person is so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Well, actually, that never, ever, ever happens the more heavenly-minded a person is, the more earthly good they are. That's what it says right here in verse 37. It says that people who are ever watchful, they're they're girding themselves up with their faith. And what are they doing? On a very practical way, they're blessing people. Uh, They're serving them. They're they're washing people's feet, uh, this type of thing. They're blessing them. And so then it says uh, in verse 38, it says, And if he should come in the second watch... Or come in the third watch and find them, so blessed are those servants. It doesn't matter when he shows up. They will be blessed. Why? Because they were living day in and day out. Remember, we're not supposed to pick the time or the season, so year in and year out. They're just living blessing the Lord, expecting his, under the awareness that he may come any moment. Verse 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then people, uh, Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, Oh, my master's delaying is coming, and begins to beat the male and and female servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk, the Master of that Servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him with a portion of unbelievers and so this is you know this is talking about a person who seemingly they're they're in the Church and yet they don't they just they don't really care about the coming of Jesus. They're not aware of that. And they're not living as if He may come in every moment. And what does it say they're doing? It says they, they're beating the male and female servants. In other words, they're treating people like trash. They're, you know, snapping at every person that they meet. They, they're not being kind. They're not serving the Lord. They're not living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says they're drinking and being drunk. They're just fritting away the time. And so a person who really lives under the expectation that Jesus may be coming at a, a, any moment they're not frittering away the, the time they're off doing the lord's business that they, they're off uh, blessing those at their workplace they're off telling people about Jesus they're they're off ministering to the you, you know to the elderly and and to the orphans and helping people who just had their home burned down and and, and, and don't have any other possessions and, 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 you know, and this type of thing. So, so far from having no bearing on your life, one, it will be a source of, of great joy. Another, it will just drive you to uh, serve the Lord and, 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 and have, a, have a holy life. But third, it, it will also stir in you a love for Christ, a love for Christ that you never knew before. Some call this the bridal love. You know, you read about these guys who write about this in the 19th century uh, about the rapture and and the return of Jesus and they call it the bridal love and that's the love that, that the bride, the overwhelming love that a bride has for the groom as the day approaches. I remember when Steffi and I got married. I went up to the front of the church with uh, my best man standing next to me, and Stephanie's way back there in the back in a beautiful wedding gown. And uh, the music started, which was Stephanie's cue to start coming forward. And there's this woman behind uh, Stephanie who she was like like a, a wedding coordinator. She was sort of in charge of the wedding. And I tell you, this woman... How can I put it nicely? She was like dictatorial. It's just like, speaking of the return of she was like Napoleon coming back in the form of a woman type of deal. I mean, she was like, you know, hey, you flower girls, get me that bouquet, you know. It's okay, you know, I mean, she, this woman, she was in charge. You had no doubt that this woman was in charge of, the, uh, of this wedding ceremony. And, and this woman, she was standing right behind Stephanie and, and uh, the music started and, and Stephanie was just standing. So, this woman's like, Stephanie, go. Go forward. Start walking. (laughs) And Stephanie was like, Stephanie, go. And so, several times she's telling Stephanie to start going. And finally, this woman, this little Napoleoness, she goes, go and she pushes Stephanie like and, and, and you know on her wedding day and, and 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 you know she's like almost tripping over her high heels she's going towards the uh, uh the altar so you know and so i don't know what all that was about if it was like overwhelming love for me or she's like what am i doing you know sort of deal yeah and and, and, and I, you know i don't know but uh <laughs> But, but the, hopefully it was it was, it was She was just struck by this man in front of the church, you know. <laughs> this overwhelming, bridal love. But seriously, as you stop from ignoring these literally hundreds of verses in Scripture about Jesus returning, and you start to read them, It will just stir up a love for Jesus in your heart. Now, the very interesting thing, a lot of people get scared when they talk about the return of Christ. In fact, I was talking to a guy this week. He goes, this is really scary, you know. And and the reason is is because they have not read what the Bible has to say about the return of Christ and they confuse the second coming of Jesus for the last judgment with the rapture. And anyone who has takes the time to read the Bible, will come to understand that there are two different things that Jesus is going to return prior to the, the the tribulation period and he's going to come for his church. And so, actually, if you do take the time to read about the second coming of Christ or about the return of Jesus for, for, for the church, it will be a source of great comfort. And it will stir up in you uh, that bridal love. Jesus says in John 14, 3, uh, it says, it was on the very night he was arrested, by the way, he's talking, he's saying this. He says, in my father's house, uh, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now, if I go up and prepare a place for you, uh, I will come again and receive you to myself, and that where I am, there you may be also. So notice what this verse does not say. It doesn't say, well, I'll send someone for you. Nor does it say, well, you know, you'll come and, and, and you'll be come to me. No, he's going to come in person, himself. In Acts chapter 1, remember that they're all looking at Jesus as he's going off to heaven. And there's two angels by his side. And they're like, why are you looking up into heaven like that? In the same manner, he will return. What do you mean in the same manner? In person. Uh, he will return. and And that is... How much he loves you now, if i 'm engaged to be married, and my bride, for whatever reason, has to be separated from me for a long period of time before uh, the wedding, and, and anyway, and, and, but finally, the day comes when she comes uh, to me, and she let 's say she 's coming from whatever australia she 's been there for six months, and she 's coming in an airplane. Let me tell you i 'm going to the airport. I'm not going to, like, send her a text message, you know, catch a cab, honey, you know. I'm not going to say that, nor am I going to, like, send someone to get her. I'm going. And and, and so in the gospel, you... D- D- Jesus' attitude towards you is the same. He's coming, and he's coming himself. He's not sending an angel. He's not sending your great-grandmother who was a believer and went on to be with the Lord. Uh, he's not sending Moses or Elijah or or, or Peter. You know, hey, Peter, I'm, I'm busy answering, uh, or, or answering prayers or listening to prayer. Go and get Stevie. You know, it's not going to be like that. It's, Jesus loves you so much he's coming to get you himself the third pillar of our faith, that Jesus is coming again. It it, it will be, as you establish this pillar of faith, and we'll be going over this the next few weeks, it will become an incredible source of joy to you. It will drive you to holiness. It will fill you with bridal love. And, And, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out on any of that kind of stuff. I want all that God has for me. So, next week we'll be getting into the detail of Matthew 24, uh, which deals with the subject of how we recognize the coming of Christ. And Jesus goes over the birth pangs that happen before the actual birth. The birth being the tribulation period. Or, and, and so, the birth pangs, how do we know that that period is, is coming? And so we're we're told not to try to pick dates, the times, or even the seasons or the years. But we are told that we can we can we can recognize certain signs and anticipate his coming. And that's so. We'll continue there next week. Let's pray, Father. We just thank you, Lord God, for your word, and I just thank you, Lord, for I thank you that you. Uh, Lord, we hear so much John 3.16, which is just a glorious verse, Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, referring to the first coming. And Lord, we thank you so much for all those other verses which say you love us so much that you are sending your son to come again, to, to get us, to rescue us, and to eventually establish a kingdom where there is no sin, there's no weeping, there's no pain, that we can live the way, God, you created us to live, Lord, with just love and joy for each other and you, Lord. We just thank you for that that glorious part of your word. And Father, I certainly don't confess to be expert or even well-studied in this area, Lord. And maybe I'm speaking for others in here, Lord, and so we just pray that even today and over the next few weeks, God, you will just establish this pillar in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless you. If anyone needs prayer, please come up.